Amen. Thank you, Ross. Uh, and I'd just like to add to that prayer. Thank you, Father, for what you have started doing this morning already through worship. And may you continue it this morning. Beautiful time of worship. I uh, just had a real sense of God doing stuff. And, uh, and I kind of don't want to get in the way. Um, so just have your way, Lord. Um, for those of you who, who know, I'm from New Zealand. And my wife's from West Australia, and, um, and it's been hard for us to see family. And I'm sure there's many of you in the same boat. You've, if you have family in a, in a place that's not open, uh, you can't go there, you can't see them. Um, thank the Lord for Skype and those sort of things. We live in that sort of technological age where um, we're not as separated as we once were. However, there's nothing like being with someone in person, is there? And so we've, we've had to sort of deal with that and, and, and there's a longing in our heart to, to go and see our family, to go to WA or to New Zealand. And we have to just wait till it's all settled down, don't we? If you need to go somewhere where, that's closed or, or there's an uncertainty whether you can get back or in or out or whatever and you know, things are changing all the time, we just, we just want to wait till it's all settled down. And so in these times of pandemic, we're tempted to just tread water, just wait, let's just wait it out until we can get back to what we're meant to be doing. Mark 4.26 says this, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. And when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And jump to verse, uh, or, yeah, verse 30. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. You know, in the midst of a pandemic, we can be tempted to adopt a wait and see attitude or just to tread water. But guess what? The kingdom's growing. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what's happening in the government or in the, in, in the medical system or whatever, the kingdom is growing. And so are we still looking for opportunities in the midst of that to sow and reap? Because the kingdom is growing. Or are we just waiting for everything to settle down and we can get back to how we were doing it before? You know, we're facing a new year. And I love preaching at the start of a, of a new year um, because I love preaching about purpose and I love preaching about action and getting out there and getting stuff done. And so I sat down to prepare that sermon for you all. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, I'm going to read Nehemiah. He's the guy, right? He's the guy. He's, he's facing all this hardship, he's facing the, this persecution, and he's living in this time of uncertainty, and yet he still makes things happen, and he forms a nation. Awesome. Let's preach on Nehemiah. So I opened the book of Nehemiah, 
and I got stuck in chapter one. You see, Nehemiah, he had a driving purpose. He had a driving purpose, but it came through a process. So let's talk about the process. So turn with me to Nehemiah verse, chapter 1, verse 1. And let's read. The words of Nehemiah, the son of that guy. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah chats to his brother. His brother's been in Jerusalem. He comes back. He's like, hey, dude, how'd it go? What's, what's, what's the story over there? And his brother said, oh, it's not good. It's not very good. And something shifted in Nehemiah's heart. Something broke in his heart. And he sat down and wept. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. There's an interesting process that happens here before Nehemiah does anything that we know him for. First of all, he's consumed by conviction. God breaks his heart, which led to a repentance. God, I'm sorry. And a restoration, which then led to his purpose and calling. Begins with conviction, which transforms into repentance or a letting go of your will, which brings us into alignment. And then I love, I love the fact that after all those things happened, Nehemiah is now in alignment with God's purpose and he says, now I need your help to do your purpose. You see, conviction, and I love the word that, that um, Jan brought this morning, 
about conviction. Thank you. I'll give you 20 bucks later. <laughs> Advertising my sermon for me. Conviction arrests our heart and grabs our attention. You can be walking along in life normally and all of a sudden, bang! Ah, oh, God's got your heart and he's broken it over something. And there's a reason why. He wants your attention. It reveals those areas of our heart that don't line up with Jesus' heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart. Proverbs 23.26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Heart comes first. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So we are to allow the Holy Spirit access to convict us. It's part of his process to realign our heart with his. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit in John 16 verse 8, he says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John 16, 13a says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And you see, so what happens, the Holy Spirit convicts our heart, shows us where we're at, oh, and then he says this way, let me guide you. If you feel like you're just going through the motions, you're just treading water, you're just spinning your tires in your Christian walk, ask the Holy Spirit, convict my heart. Break my heart for something. Show me those areas in my heart that's not, not aligning with you, Jesus. Because that's the genesis of passion. You can't talk about passion without it starting with conviction. It seems strange to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us. Almost like it's a negative thing. Because we know when we watch the courtroom dramas, the criminals, they get convicted. They're on trial. And we have to admit that we're wrong. Psalm 26 verse 2 says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Or another translation for prove me is test me. Try my mind and my heart. So there's a bit of a trial analogy here. That we put our hearts and our minds, we put them on trial and they're tested, and they're tried, and that which isn't of Christ is convicted. When we say, oh, I'm all good, we're essentially saying, I have achieved Christ-likeness. I'm all good. Nothing needs to change here. I've made it. I'm just like Jesus. And we get a shirt. Proud to be humble. You know, if we can never admit that we're wrong, we can never hope to grow more like Jesus. It's part of our process of sanctification. It's a fancy word, just means becoming more like Christ. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That process of transformation is key because it aligns us closer with God's purposes. That process of transformation, that conviction and repentance, aligns us with God's purpose. Did you know that the world is attempting to transform us into its image? The world wants us to take on its beliefs. The world wants us to take on its values. The world wants us to take on its character. Don't be transformed by the world or conformed to this world. But you can't force yourself to be more Christ-like by just trying harder or by flagellating yourself. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about uh, Peter Damien. In the 11th century, a Benedictine Christian, Christian monk called Peter Damien taught that only those who shared in the sufferings of Christ could be saved. And so he taught that those who sought to follow Christ must practice self-flagellation for the duration of the time it takes to recite 40 psalms. In case you don't know what flagellation means, it's whipping yourself. It's getting, getting some whips and, and whipping yourself like this. Whip on your legs and on your arms and whipping yourself. And you've got to say 40 psalms in the time. It, and, and in that time, you're whipping yourself the whole time. So you pick the 40th shortest psalm. <laughs> That seems crazy, doesn't it? Those crazy Benedictine monks. What are they they thinking? Seems crazy, and yet we still do it today. We still do that today. We look around and we see others doing this or that, and and we try to imitate or copy, and and we whip ourselves with negative self-talk. Why aren't I more like Tim? I need to try harder. I need to be better. I need to do more. You know, it's summertime. I love the summertime. And uh, I love the summertime because all the fruit trees bear fruit. And our backyard is, is um, we have a plum and an apple tree, and they're bearing delicious fruit. We used to have a nectarine tree. And every year, that nectarine tree would bear rotten fruit. It would rot on the tree before it was ripe. And we cut it down. <laughs> and do you know what was on the inside of that tree? It was rotten. Fruit is a reflection of the healthiness of the inside of the tree. A tree doesn't grow fruit, fruit by squeezing it out or just trying harder. Being more like Jesus requires a change of heart because Christ-like fruit is a representation of what is happening in the heart. And all that begins when we allow him to convict us. So conviction is one of the Holy Spirit's functions here on earth. And it's the beginning of repentance. Because conviction without repentance is worthless. Just leaves us feeling bad. The correct response to conviction is repentance. As Jan so eloquently shared this morning. And it's part of our process towards partnering with his purpose. 
In Matthew 5, 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our heart, as we become more Christ-like, we begin to see him clearer. We start to align our heart with God's heart. What is he saying? What is he doing? Or more importantly, who is he? And who are we in his presence? And this is what happened with Nehemiah as we read through that chapter. It began with a conviction. This isn't right. Something has to change. Which led to repentance. Lord, forgive me and make me more like you. It's a turning around. That's what repentance is. You're walking along and, ah, this, is, this isn't, this is, something's got to change. Forgive me, Lord. And you just keep walking. Ah, again, something's, ah, forgive me, Lord. And you keep, no, stop walking that way. Turn around. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, what is that? Ah, oh, forgive me, Lord. Ah, oh, I see you. I want to go this way. Turn around. That's what repentance is. And out of that, we see Nehemiah starts to align with what God's purpose and promise is. He doesn't come first, hey, this is my idea, God, that I want to do this thing. Can you, um, can you just help me make that happen? No, he, 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 his heart's broken. He focuses on God. He starts to align with God's purpose after, through that process of repentance. And then God starts to reveal to him what God's purpose is. Too often we seek to discover our purpose or our calling or our mission or whatever that might be without that whole process of conviction and repentance. And the result leads us to just serving out of selfishness because it's all about me and my purpose or my role or my mission or whatever. But you know what? It's not. It's not about you. It's about him. God doesn't have some sort of cosmic plan that he's been waiting to hand to you He has his own plan that he's waiting for us to come into alignment with. God just wants to call us closer to him. And in that process, his will is revealed. That we partner with him, he doesn't partner with us. In John 15, 15, it says... No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. It's his plan which he makes known to us. So that we can get on board with his plan. Purpose is birthed in conviction and repentance. This keeps our focus on the one who calls us, not the calling itself. Purpose is birthed in conviction and repentance. This keeps our focus on the one who calls us, not the calling itself. And aligns us with what he is building. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. There's the sense of partnership that's led by the Lord. He wants us to build with him, but we do it his way. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, 
a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The kingdom is growing and he lays the foundations and he guides the building. So we see Nehemiah journey through that and he goes and, and, um, and they build the wall and I'm not going to focus on that. I know Steve's going to be preaching next week um, from Nehemiah as well and I hope I haven't just stolen his sermon but I got him first. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> in, um, in chapter three, uh, we won't read it here but you can go through and, um, and the, the building this wall is 2.4 kilometres long which is about from here to the hospital. It's 2.4 metres wide, which is about the width of this platform here. So from here uh, over to here. And no one knows how high it was, but it's anywhere between three and eight metres high. So it's not like your garden wall. It's, like a, it's a pretty chunky wall. Now, <laughs> there's about 40 different groups listed that are helping to, to repair this wall. And some of the occupations or groups listed are priests, goldsmiths, perfumers, district leaders or council members, daughters and merchants. Not a calloused hand among them. <laughs> and even the enemies joking, they're like, these guys, even if a fox runs up on that, on that wall, the whole thing's going to fall down. They're getting made fun of. There's no specialist wall builders. There's some pen pushers and artisans. <laughs> but it's such a beautiful example of people just following the call of God. It's a coming together of everyone. It's the priesthood of all believers. You see, when we build according to his purpose and plan, he is responsible for the outcome. It's not our ability. So each person there, they focused on their portion of wall. Don't leave the work that's been assigned to you to someone special or, or talented or anointed. No, it's been assigned to you and it's his plan. So we are called to stand in the place appointed to us and look to what is in front of us. And it's interesting, some of the words we've been getting that um, Fiona's been leading us in prayer have been talking about having blinkers on so that we're not looking to the left and the right and what are they doing on their bit of wall? Oh, what are they doing? Oh, no, 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 just focus on what's in front of you. Where is the place that you have been called to stand? Is it your place of work? Is it your place of study? Is it the social groups that, that you've been placed in? What has God set before you for this year? Don't look to the left and the right. Because we build focused on Jesus. And as we build in the spirit according to God's purpose... It actually all comes together and it joins up with what other people are doing. So those workers, they had a singular focus. They left homes, they left fields, they left businesses to go build this wall. And many of them were not even from Jerusalem. 
So can I say this? Don't let pandemics or other things distract or derail what God is calling for you this year. Don't just tread water. Don't say, oh, I'll see you in a few months. The kingdom's growing. How can we be sowing and reaping? Jesus, um, he called Paul to go to Jerusalem. And, and if you read through Acts, you read this story where Paul's told twice not to go. And he goes, oh, no, Jesus has called me. I'm going anyway. And he knows he's going to be persecuted if he goes there. And he, so he goes there. And when he gets there, they, they all have a meeting with you know, the disciples and everyone. They're all having a meeting. And they say, you know what? We think what you need to do is you need to purify yourself through the Jewish Rituals of purification. Now, Paul didn't have to do that because he's living in a new covenant. He's saved by grace through the blood of Jesus. So he didn't have to undergo this process, this, this purification process. It's in Acts 21, if you want to read that, 24. We won't read it now, but you can read that um, as your homework. <laughs> So the disciples themselves acknowledge that the purification is no longer necessary because we're saved by grace, no longer under law. But to appease the Jews, they still recommended observing the law as though under it. And let me tell you, the purification process, it wasn't just some sort of thing you do. It went for a while. It's like for 30 days, you couldn't drink wine or any similar drink. You couldn't eat grapes or raisins. You couldn't have a haircut or a shave. Uh, you weren't allowed to go near a dead body. And after 30 days, you had to present one male lamb without blemish, one female lamb without blemish, one ram without blemish, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, grain offering, drink offering, a few things. And then you had to shave your head, put the hair on the fire under the sacrifices, and then the priest put the ram shoulder, one cake, one wafer on, his, on your hands, and then he waves them around, and then you drink the wine. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I went to the Old Testament and I found, found what it was. Paul was within his rights to refuse and say, you know what, I'm not doing that because I don't believe in it. But he laid his own personal conviction aside to reach those to whom he had been sent. He laid his own personal convictions aside to reach those people who God was calling him to reach. He didn't let the current climate stop him from sowing into the kingdom. He did what he had to do, not for his sake, but for their sake. So where has God called you to witness? Where has he called you to sow? Where has he called you to build kingdom? And what is stopping you from going? And can you do something about it? You know, Nehemiah, he was... Partnering with God's purpose, not just to build a wall. I mean, they did build the wall, but God's plan was to rebuild the nation. And that's what Nehemiah was doing, was rebuilding a nation. And in the process of building this wall, the people, they learned to work together, to look out for and protect one another, to support one another, to deal with persecutions and obstacles. They learned how to establish God as their source. They would stop ripping each other off. They were, they were ripping each other off. And Nehemiah put a stop to that and said that the Lord is their source. 
And then they all gathered together as a people, as a nation again. And we pick up the story in chapter 8. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And there was a bunch of people there, and the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, and get this, and the people stood in their place. Finally, after hundreds of years, because Nehemiah aligns himself with God's purpose, they have a place to stand. It wasn't because of Nehemiah's work ethic or project management skills, but because he surrendered his heart to God and allowed it to be aligned to God's purpose. So let's not spend this year treading water, waiting for things to get back to normal. Let's align our hearts with God's purpose. Let's sow into the kingdom and stand in the place appointed us. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Let me pray. Uh, just, a, just a warning before I pray. If you don't want to change, block your ears. <laughs> Holy Spirit, will you convict our hearts? We give you access. We lay them bare. Would you break our heart for what breaks yours? That we would be transformed. That our heart would be aligned with your heart. Lord, for those in this room who don't know you, would you convict their heart? Would you break their heart to know that you're real? For those who wish to change the world, would they be open to be changed first? And Lord, let us come in humility in Micah 6, it says, He has shown you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so we lay down our pride. We lay down thinking we, all have, it, we have it all worked out. Would you convict our hearts? Would you lead us to repentance? We don't want to conform to, this, to the pattern of this world. We don't want to be controlled by fear, but we desire to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, Lord, would you show us those patterns that don't align with your truth, that put our hearts, would you put our hearts and minds on trial and deal with the things of the world that have crept in, that we might know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Align us with your purpose, we pray. Amen. We're just going to have some time of ministry.
know if we have the band back up now. Um, so we'll have the band lead us in a song, um, and we'll just we'll just worship a bit. And I want to let you know that there's ministry available, um, and specifically in the area of fear. This morning, uh, if you know, I mentioned how Paul went to Jerusalem, and he was told twice, "Hey, don't go." Don't go. And, and the second time he was told, it was a very graphic example of what was going to happen to him if he went. That he knew that it was going to be tough. And, and he says, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's easy for us to say, don't want to go, there's a pandemic out there. <laughs> but let us not be controlled by fear, church. So if that's something you want to deal with this morning, we'll, we'll, um, there'll, be, there'll be people up the front who would love to pray with you and deal with that. Or if there's other things which you, which you feel, you know, maybe you've, you feel like you haven't been making any progress, you've just been treading water and it's just been like, oh yeah, same old, same old come to church on a Sunday and do the same old, same old. Maybe you need a fresh conviction in your heart. And um, there'll be people that love to pray with you for that.